Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Instead of ruin, 
Yeah. 
and amen. I just love that here I am to worship. What a wonderful, wonderful song. What a wonderful sentiment that those of us who are children of God should echo with every breath. Here I am, Lord, to worship. Here I am, Lord, to bow down. Here I am just to say, you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me, God. Every believer should echo that with every breath of how amazing our God is. This morning, as we gather on this Memorial Day weekend, I do want to take a moment to say thank you to all those who have served in our armed forces. Your willingness to serve each of us, and to serve our families as you served your country so bravely is a sacrifice that is not forgotten. I would like to ask at this time, if you have served in any of our armed forces, in any branch of our armed forces, or are currently serving, would you please take a moment and just stand this morning? If you would... Thank you, gentlemen, so much for your service. I had someone once during a Memorial Day service I did that, and someone told me after the service, they said, well, Brother Jason, don't you worry if that hurts the feelings of those who didn't serve. And I said, well, no. <laughs> and so if it hurts your feelings, get over yourself this morning. I'm thankful for those gentlemen and the men just like them who did what they did that we could be here this morning. So thank you for that. And this week I thought about what, what we were going to preach from, what text, what section of Scripture we were going to open up and go to. And, and, a, and a text from the Old Testament kept leaping back to me each time that I began to think of a fitting text for Memorial Day. Now Joshua chapter 6 is one of the, 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 the most fitting texts for a Memorial Day service that I could think of. It's, it's a text where we see one of the greatest military accomplishments uh, in all of the Bible and in all of history. It, it's one of the greatest testaments to the magnitude of our holy God and, and, and what happens when the people of God walk in obedience to God. So if you would, if you're able, please stand this morning. In honor and reverence for the holy words of our holy God from Joshua chapter 6. Now this morning, we will be preaching through the entire chapter, but for the sake of time and for the sake of your legs, uh, we'll read a few selected verses uh, together aloud. We'll begin in verse 1, reading verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See... I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. 
And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Look with me to verse 20 quickly. And so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Look at verses 25 through 27 with me. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at the time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall set the gates. And the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the country. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that as we look to this conquest, Lord of Jericho, to this first city taken by the Israelites in the promised land. God, that we would be so stirred and so moved that we would be able to bravely face with you, God, any adversary that is before us. God, we pray that if there be any spirit in the house this morning that hinder our worship, God, you would bind it, gag it, and remove it at this time. If there be any thought that hold us captive beside worship this moment, God, you would captivate that thought right now. God, let this service be for your will, be for your glory, and be for your honor. And it is in your precious name that we pray, as all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Now, we're going to look through this whole chapter, but like I said, we're, we're going to kind of highlight some sections. I challenge you to go back and read the whole chapter when we finish and make sure that you get it. In fact, in my personal opinion, the first eight chapters of the book of Joshua may be some of the most impressive chapters on walking in victorious Christian living that there are in the whole entire Bible. It really is a great uh, parallel and context to the preparation for what you must do for the battle itself and for what happens after you have a victory in a Christian life. And so I would challenge anyone to spend some time in the, in the first eight Eight chapters of the book of Joshua, in fact. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on chapter 6, where the actual destruction of Jericho takes place. Now, most of you, uh, when I said Joshua chapter 6, those of you who were good Bible scholars, uh, you, you immediately thought that it was the battle of Jericho. But at a minimum, some of you, when I said it was the battle of Jericho, many of you began to shout that old children's tune, didn't you? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Jericho and the walls come tumbling down, right? That's most of us, uh, when we think of, of this particular chapter, that's what we think of. Uh, I'm going to surmise this morning, and the title of the message says, that I don't believe Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I believe Joshua was merely a bit player in a great act where Jehovah fought the battle of Jericho. Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. And my friends, if we're going to have a victorious Christian life, it's going to be because we have a victory in Jesus this morning. Look together at the first two verses and our first truth from scripture is this. Jericho was invincible without God. Jericho was invincible without God. You see first that to the human eye this city was completely unattainable. It, it, it had these huge impregnable walls. These great 
big, mighty walls that surrounded it. We see in verse 1 that the walls weren't loose. It says they were securely shut up. You know what that means literally in the Hebrew? It means they locked them, barred them, and towed them tight. There wasn't no way these doors were getting open. Why? Because the children of Israel were outside the gate. Now these people inside Jericho were no dummies. They had heard what had happened as the children of Israel had fleed Egypt and the sea had parted. They'd walked across and had come crashing in and they'd wandered around in the wilderness. They'd heard of all the conquest of the children of Israel as they'd made their way to the promised land. And so the people of Jericho knew they were in trouble. They knew the children of Israel had something on their side that was special. They knew the children of Israel had a God on their side that was great and big. And they said, we better close up these walls that we've got in front of us. And so they closed them up tight. Now there are scholars who believe that the first wall was some six feet thick and some 20 feet tall. And that inside of that there was an inner wall that was twice as tall, 12 feet thick, And some 30 feet tall. So it was 10 feet taller and 6 feet wider than the first wall that looked pretty big on its own. Uh, We don't know exactly, but but we also know, if you look back at chapter 2 of the book of Joshua, that Rahab the harlot, she set up house inside the walls. That's where she lived. So we know that these walls were big enough that they could contain the place of living for someone. These were some mighty big walls that they looked at. Now at this point, there were only four people in the camp of the Israelites that had ever laid their eyes on these walls personally. There was Joshua and Caleb who had been original spies. And then there were the two spies that had went in chapter 2 and hung out with Rahab and been protected by her. And so imagine the awe of all the children of Israel (coughs) as they come upon these great, big, huge walls that they've only heard about. They're laying their eyes on something for the first time that to this point had just been a fable in their mind. They'd been heard about the walls of Jericho. They'd been told about the walls of Jericho, but suddenly they see the walls of Jericho. And can you imagine as they looked at them and thought, Oh my God, what are we going to do? These walls, there's no way we can get through these walls. Well, we could beat on these walls for the rest of our lives and not get through these walls. And Satan will do this to the believer today, won't he? Amen. Won't Satan do that to you if you're not careful? He'll cause you to look ahead of you at the problem that lies, at the adversary that lies ahead of you, and he'll cause you to see nothing but those great, big, tall walls. But praise God, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that as believers, we live by faith and not by sight. What that tells me is that I don't have to see the way through the walls. I just have to believe that God has a way through the walls in order to walk in victorious living. I'm sorry, Belinda's the only one that got that. As a Christian, all I have to do is look at the walls. I don't have to see how it's going to happen. I just have to believe in a God that knows it's going to happen. Amen? We should live that way in our lives. And so it doesn't matter how mighty the problem looks. When God is on your side. But I want you to notice something else. It wasn't just that the walls were thick and that they looked that they looked like they were impenetrable. It it didn't just look like a problem. If you look in verse 2, you'll see that the king and it had mighty men of valor. That phrase literally means fighting men. They had a well-trained army in Jericho. And, And so they had these big walls that looked like a problem. They had these big armies that were a problem. See, what I'm saying is the problem didn't just look mighty. (coughs) 
excuse me, the problem, it was a big problem. They did have a mighty problem in their face. And sometimes the problems in our lives, well, they look big because they are. Yeah, sometimes we overreact, but sometimes the problems we face, they really are big problems. Yeah, I'm reminded of several other places in the text. You know, Goliath, he didn't just look big. He didn't just look mean. He didn't just look nasty. He was mean and he was nasty and he was big. He didn't just, it wasn't a story about Goliath. It was the fact of the matter that this dude was big. <coughs> Goodness gracious. The lions, well, they didn't just look like vicious man-eating lions down in that den. They were vicious man-eating lions down in that den. When Daniel went down there, he didn't get down there and go, oh, man, look at these cardboard cutouts of these lions. No, 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 no. He got down there and there was sure enough lions down there. I mean, Simba and Mufasa was in there. Those of you too old to watch The Lion King, go watch it. You'll understand what I just said. There's, I mean, they was in there, man. Sometimes we look at our problems and we begin to stare at them. And we begin to come consumed with our problems when in reality what we need to be consumed with is that we have a God that's bigger than whatever we face. Your situation <coughs> is, is not so grave. Uh, thank you. Uh, the worst thing that can happen in your situation is not bigger than the God that you serve. Goliath was big. But God said, victory is yours, David. Go and fight. The lions, they really were giant man-eating nasty lions. But God said, Daniel, I need you to take a nap down here with these lions. Because the victory is yours. And my friends, God is saying to you this morning that same thing. That problem you got. It really is tough. Those walls really are big. They really are tough. It, it, it really is a big deal. But quite frankly, I am bigger than your problems. That situation that you have been so worried about may very well be just as dire as you thought it was. But God is saying to you right now, it's not beyond my control. It's not beyond my grasp. And, and my friends, might I say to you this morning that unless your head is being honed in on by lines... Or unless outside the doors of this church await a giant, your problems are not bigger than anything God has faced before. God has delivered you safe thus far. It's not more than he can handle. It's probably more than you can handle, my friend. But it is not more than he can handle. First, we see that the city was invincible without God. But the second thing we're going to see is that the strategy, the strategy is incredible by God. Verses 3 through 14 start to paint us a pretty incredible picture. Verse 3, I want you to look at what God says. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. <coughs> You'll go around it once. You'll do this for six days. You, your priests are going to bear trumpets of ram's horns. The seventh day, you'll march around seven times, and the priest will blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast, and, and when you... Hear that? Shout. And the wall, well, the wall is going to fall down flat. And God said, Joshua, the city's yours. 
here is the battle plan. All right? So I just imagine that Joshua, uh, because we, if you see through the first six chapters, you'll see that he had a habit of going away from the camp to kind of receive his marching orders from God. He went away, he got by himself, he prayed, he talked to God, and he kind of got his directions. And so Joshua goes away and God says, All right, Joshua, the city's yours. Here's the plan. And I believe that Joshua got the, uh, the old notebook of Joshua out. And he began to write down. He said, All right, march around the city, horns, priests, seven times shout hmm. <clears throat> you mean to tell me the plan is this and so he goes back and can you imagine can you imagine the naysayers when Joshua got back to camp and he said alright gentlemen I have heard from God here be the plan over the next seven days we're going to march 13 times around this city Upon the final time, we're going to blow the trumpet. When we blow the trumpet, we're going to yell. Uh, Brother Joshua, maybe you didn't see the walls ahead of us. I don't think 13 times is enough marching. I think we should dig a hole under the walls, or we should build a ladder to go over the walls. We can't go through the walls, Joshua. I believe you've lost your touch. Or maybe you've been touched, but something is not right. That would have been a wonderful business meeting to have been a part of. I have seen Baptist business meetings where we couldn't agree on carpet, much less the plan on how we were going to overtake a city with somebody coming in. Can you imagine that guy in the back, Mr. Moderator? I don't believe that is a good plan. And Joshua, though, he stood by faith because of what God had done in his life so many times. And he said, you know what? This strategy makes perfect sense. We're going to march. I, I just imagine that Joshua strolled into the camp and he said, all right, guys, I got it. Here's what's going to happen. About seven days from now, them walls are going to fall. Here's what we're going to do between now and then. Because that's what God said to do. And if you'll remember, any naysayers that are out there, what I want you to remember, naysayers, is that God said we were going to be free from Egypt, and he freed us from Egypt. And that when we got to the sea, God said he was going to take care of us if we'd just be still. And he parted the seas and he closed them down over that army. And, and all of you naysayers, I want you to know that as we've journeyed upon our way through the land of the giants and everything else we've done, God has delivered us every single time just like he said he was going to. And so naysayers, what I need you to know is that God has spoken and we as a people are going to listen to what God said. And I am fully confident that seven days from this day, those walls will be laying on the ground. Why? Because that's what God said he was going to do. And if you don't like it, now is the time for you to leave this camp. Because as for me and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now that strategy seems incredible. And when I say that word incredible, I bet many of you thought of things like amazing or big or spectacular. But did you know the word incredible actually means lacking credibility? What I'm saying is the strategy didn't make sense. But sometimes when God claims his victories, it's not with a strategy that makes sense, is it? I mean, you think about it when Goliath stood outside the camp. 
calling out to any soldier that would come and fight. Out of all the fighting men that were there, who did God send? He sent a shepherd boy. He sent him with a slingshot. Let that sink in for a minute. I know, I know, we get so jaded to these old Bible stories, don't we? We hear them over and over. David and Goliath, yeah, I got that one, Brother Jason. No, 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 you don't. You don't got it. I just said a giant stood that the entire army couldn't stand against, but a shepherd boy took a slingshot and killed him. God's plan was bigger than anything that made sense. What about, what about way back in the day of Gideon? Gideon had 32,000 men. And God said, you got way too many soldiers. I want you to whittle this down. And Gideon, he whittled it down to 10,000. God said, you got way too many soldiers. And Gideon got it down to 300. And God said, good, 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 good. You got your 300 soldiers. Now I want you to distribute the weapons for this battle plan. Here's your torch, tea pitcher, and trumpet. Take your 300 men into battle. Can you imagine what an incredible strategy? Let's get rid of, of most of your army and let's give the army you got left a tea pitcher. And let's go into war, Gideon. What about Jehoshaphat? When the Ammonites and the Moabites were coming in on the land and Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to turn to the Lord. We're going to have a prayer service. We're going to quit preparing the army and we're just going to pray. And he calls on the whole nation to fast and to pray for God's protection and for God's provision. And the whole town floods to the temple to pray. And then Brother Jehaziel stands up. He says, I have received a word. The victory is ours. We're not even going to fight the battle. God is going to claim it for us. So they have the prayer service. He says, let's have a worship service. Let's sing. And when they said it's time to send out the army, they said, let's send out the choir first. It's a good recruiting video for the choir, isn't it? Send in the singers. That's how we'll beat them. God caused the Ammonites and the Moabites to turn upon one another. And they slayed one another in such a way that when the army finally got there, it took them three days to pick the stuff up. <coughs> Sometimes the plan, it's incredible with God. Eight times in verses 3 through 5, we see a call for us to depend on God's word in the commands of you shall or you will. And we see that walking in victory means we must be obedient to God. How do I solve this situation in my life, Brother Jason? You find out what God's Word says do, and do it. What if that doesn't turn out the way that I want it to, Brother Jason? What if, what if, what if when I go to God's Word, Brother Jason, what I find is contrary to what I really wanted to do? Hmm. For a Christian, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear these next few words. For a Christian, success is only measured in obedience to God. Success is only measured in obedience to God for a believer. This promised land was promised to them, and they had walked around it for 40 years. Because 40 years earlier, they had refused to listen to God. You remember that story? The 12 spies go in. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a favorable report. 
Only Joshua and Caleb said, listen, it looks tough, but I believe God's got it. I believe this God who's delivered us to this point, he'll deliver us on through. I believe we'll be just fine. But the majority said, nah, I don't think so. We can't do this yet. And what did God say to them as a result of their lack of faith? He's like, hey, you're not even going to set foot in this promised land, you, you perverse generation. It's going to be 40 years wandering around within eyeshot of the promised land and not going in. Can I just say this? If you're in the presence of a bunch of people going against the will of God, you're far better off to be in the minority. You're far better off to be in the minority. I ask you this. Is fear of the outcome hindering your obedience to God in your life? What is it that God has called you to or told you or spoken to you or revealed to you through his word? What is it that God has called you to that because you're afraid of what's going to happen if you obey God, you haven't been obedient? What is it? Maybe we're afraid of what others will think. Maybe we're afraid of what somebody will say. Maybe we're afraid of failure. Maybe we're afraid of whatever we're afraid of. But can I just tell you that if you'll remember this, success in the Christian life is measured only in how you are obedient to God. By our obedience to God. When God gives a command, the cost of obedience is high, but the cost of disobedience is much greater. In your victory may only be one act of obedience away. Think about that. Your victory in your life may be one act of obedience away. Your family, your finances, your depression, your addiction, whatever it is, you may be simply one act of repentance. One act of repentance to God from Him taking that from you and delivering you. And you're saying to God, God, I wish you'd do something. And maybe God is saying to you, I already did. And now I'm waiting on you to respond in faith. And so the city, it was invincible without God. And the strategy was incredible by God. Can I just say this morning that the victory is inevitable with God? If you look back at chapter 5, you would find that while Joshua and the Israelites lay outside the camp of their enemies... God had them perform a surgery upon their bodies. Every male in the Israelite camp that hadn't been circumcised had to be circumcised so that they would be covenantally correct before God. Now I want you to think about, that. that's a strategy strange in itself, isn't it? Here we lay outside the camp of the most fortified city in the world that has a mighty army inside of it and walls around it. And I'm going to have you take the entire male portion of your army and make them useless for about a week as they recover from this procedure. But if you look at the end of chapter 5, you'll see why that wasn't so crazy. You'll see that the commander of the Lord's army, you'll see that none other than Jesus was there on the night watch. He said, listen, if you'll just be obedient and do what I told you to do, I'm going to stand here and watch out for you. We see as Joshua goes, he sees the commander of the Lord's army, and I believe that's none other than Jesus. If you'll remember back to chapter 1, God had already told Joshua that he would be with him. 
He had already told him that everywhere his sandals trod would become his land. And here we have the time for the victory has drawn nigh. In verse 16, I believe that verse 16, it says that in the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout. Now, I don't believe that after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and seven days of marching around and hearing these commands from God, that Joshua had an inkling of doubt in his mind when he shouted, Shout! For the city is yours. Think about the faith in that statement. Shout! The walls are still there when he says shout. The city is going to be yours. And suddenly all the things that they had endured and and all of these things that they had been through began to come to fruition all at once. But Joshua gives a few words of caution that I think we need to remember as, as they got ready to enter into the city. Now remember... Normally in a battle, what was normal is that the soldiers would go in, they'd do all the the killing, they'd do all the taking, they would take the land, and then all of the spoils of victory would be belonging to them. The soldiers' reward for going to war and doing all of this would be all of the spoils. But Joshua says, not today, boys. Not today. We're going to shout The city will be ours. You're going to go in. You're going to do your bidding. You're going to go to war. You're going to do what you do. But you're not going to take a thing. You're going to bring every bit of it back to the Lord's treasury. And he's given us some warnings here in these few verses. One of the things he says is that one of the dangers in victory is that you can begin to think when things are going well that you're stronger than you really are. Joshua says to him, he says, I want you to stay away from the cursed stuff that's in there because you're going to see it, you're going to want it, but it isn't yours for the taking this time. It doesn't belong to you. Don't think just because God delivered you to this point and that he's overcome these walls that you can suddenly become flippant with your obedience to what God has called you to do. Many of us have that tendency, don't we? Son, we'll really turn to God when things go bad. When we look ahead of us and we see a wall that we can't blow down, we see an obstacle we can't get through, man, we find our way to the altar of the Lord. We find our way back to the house of God. We find our way to the Sunday school class that we ain't been to in 14 years. We find our way to our prayer closet in our home because it's Tuesday and we don't have church today. Man, we get obedient with God when we look and see walls ahead of us. But what happens when God causes those walls to come tumbling down too often? We go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got this now. And then somebody says, comes to pat you on the back. You ever had this one? Brother, I can't believe you've come through this the way you have. I know, boy, it's been tough. It's been tough. But, you know, I just keep one foot in front of the other. Just keep moving. One day at a time, brother, that's all I can do. What Joshua is telling us is there's danger in that. Because the same obedience that you showed to God to get yourself through those walls is the same obedience that you better show on the other side of the walls. Or you'll no longer be walking in victory. You'll be walking in disobedience. I can think of so many people in my life that I've come in contact with who at one point or another were standing outside the walls of Jericho shouting in faith. But today they're not even whispering on the banks of the Jordan looking at the promised land anymore. 
One time they stood in victory. But now they're somewhere on the outside, not even whispering a shout anymore. And the second danger that we have when we get into victory is that sometimes we forget that the victory is God's. Sometimes we forget that the victory is God's. Verse 18, he said, abstain from these cursed things or you'll be cursed and you'll bring a a, a curse on Israel. Verse 19, he says, the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, they are consecrated to the Lord. You bring them back to the treasury of the Lord. You see, God requires a token of ownership in our lives that we would claim everything for his glory. That's why the first fruits of our labors are God's. Why does God command the first fruits of our labors? Why does he command the first and best of what we have? Because God is showing if we are willing to give him our first and our best, then we're willing to recognize that the rest of it belongs to him as well. Let me say that again. If you're willing to give God your first and your best, you're willing to recognize that everything else belongs to him as well. Can I just say this? It's all his to begin with. You might as well give him the first and the best or else you'll have the least and the worst if you ain't careful. And you see, Jericho was the first city that they were taking in their conquest to the promised land. I want you to notice God didn't say, I need a tenth. He didn't say, I need a percentage. He didn't say, I need something. He said, I need the first and the best. You're taking Jericho and everything inside of it belongs to me. The first fruits of your labor are mine. We must give God the glory for the victory and realize that it all belongs to him anyway. If you have health this morning, you have health for his glory. If you have influence this morning, your influence is for his glory. If you have wealth this morning, your wealth, it's for his glory. Quite frankly, if you're here this morning, you're here for his glory. We are made to glorify a holy God. I want you to look at verses 22 through 25 with me. This is where we're going to close. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. Now this is the house of Rahab the harlot. She's saved from the destruction, and all of those who are in her house. And this is a fulfillment of a promise made back in chapter 2, When the spies went in and Rahab protected the spies and she hid them. And so we should not be surprised. None of us are surprised that God delivered his promise. We spent the whole service talking about God being a faithful promise keeping God. But have you ever really thought about what is being said in verse 22 of Joshua chapter 6? If you read chapter 2. You know that Rahab's house is inside the walls of Jericho. And if you read chapter 6, you find that when they shouted, and the walls come tumbling down, right? Now hang on, 
Some of you are starting to connect the pieces. Her house is in the walls, and the walls came tumbling down. I'm going to say it one more time. Her house is inside the walls, and the walls came tumbling down. So how in the world can Joshua say, hey, y'all go to the harlot's house that's hung out inside the walls that just tumbled down and go get her and all the people that she's got in the house with her? Caught on yet? I am no scholar. I am no certified mechanical engineer or structural engineer. But I am intelligent enough to know that if your house is inside of a wall that comes falling down, your house is not in good shape anymore. So I've heard so many, so many explanations for this. I've heard someone say, well, the text says the walls fell down flat. And so since the walls fell down flat, it didn't damage her home that was inside of the walls. And so she went from standing to laying and waiting on the people to come and get her. Not so sure about that. I've heard some say, well... If you look at the Hebrew word for the Greek explanation of the participle, you'll find that when they shouted, the walls directly in front of them fell flat. And so it just so happened that no one was standing in front of the wall where the house of Rahab the harlot was when the rest of the walls came tumbling down. Well, that's a stretch. That all these walls are around through there and nobody happened to be standing in front of that one. My friend, can I tell you what happened? Because there, there's, no, there's no textual explanation in Scripture that tells us exactly what happened on that day and why her house was safe. But my imagination can't help but get the better of me. That I can't help but think that everybody shouted and that all the walls came laying flat down for them to go over and there was one wall section that was standing right there. And I believe that that was a, a symbol to all the people of Israel and all the people of Jericho, that faithfulness to God will see you through just fine. That everybody that looked up at that section of wall said, why is that scarlet thread hanging out of there, holding that wall up by a scarlet thread? Looky there. My friend, I, I don't know scientifically why the wall was standing, but I can tell you from a faith standpoint that the wall was standing because God had said he was going to spare her and all the people inside her house. And can I just tell you that from her faith back in chapter 2, delivering her to where when this plundering took place, she was safe, and they went and got her, and they brought her out of the city safely, and they brought the people with her. Did you know that if you'll fast forward to the Gospel of Matthew, and you'll look at the lineage of Jesus, and you'll start to look backwards, you'll find way back in some great, great sense of time that Rahab the harlot was in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now tell me that God didn't use a a crooked stick to draw a straight line right there. Think about that. So how do we respond this morning to this text? Well, believer, I'd ask you this question this morning. What problems are you facing? Where are your walls? What are the walls that are in front of you this morning? What difficulty did you walk in here this morning knowing that it was on your mind and on your heart and in your way. That you looked at it and said, I don't have any clue how we're going to get through this one. 
God's calling you to be obedient this morning. Not to your plan, but to his plan. His plan's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to make sense. It's not even going to be something that you could explain to somebody else and understand, perhaps. But God's plan is still God's plan. And he is calling you to be obedient this morning. Calling you to come to the altar and say something like this. God, I realize that any victory in my life is going to be a victory in Jesus. And I want to be obedient to you this morning. I don't want to serve myself anymore. That just keeps taking me down a road I don't need to go on. But I want to give it to you, God, this morning. And maybe there's somebody here who's living their life without Jesus. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you be like Rahab this morning? Say, Brother Jason, I've lived a life too bad for that. I don't think so. Harlot wasn't exactly an astute term used for scholars. She was a prostitute. She had lived her life in shame. But she was saved by Jesus Christ the same way that you can be this morning. And her household was spared and she was used for mighty things. So would you surrender your life to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning. God, we recognize that in all of our inabilities, God, you can be glorified. That God, if we, as your people, will just realize how incapable we are and surrender to your plan, that God, you can blow the walls down in front of us. No matter how big they look, no matter how scary they are, God, you can deliver us. God, would you call us to obedience this morning and give us the courage to come and say, God, I don't know how, but I surrender it all to you, Lord God. God, allow us to claim a victory. A victory in you and you alone. And God, if there be someone here who's never accepted you as Savior and Lord, God, would you convict them as only you can? Would you move them to repentance this morning? God, we will give you the glory and the honor. For it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.